book of Philippians and chapter number two. Philippians chapter number two in the Word of God. And I want to talk to you about some things that I think will be a great uh, practical help to each person that's chosen to listen tonight. Philippians chapter 2, and we're going to begin reading here in verse number 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Lord, I pray that tonight you would minister to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to desire to have the mind of Christ. And Lord, I pray that you might now fill me with thy spirit. These things we pray in the lovely name of Jesus. Amen. I believe that the Bible reveals to us that we can have the mind of Christ. Here we find in just a few verses of Scripture, four references to the mind. It says in verse 2, be like Minded. It says to be of one mind. In verse 3, it says in loneliness of mind. In verse 5, it says let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. I believe that it is important for us to understand that the Bible reveals to us that we have the mind of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 16, the Bible tells us there that we do have the mind of Christ. You say, how can I know that I have the mind of Christ? I want you to know that this book is the mind of Christ. If you want to know the mind of Christ, dig into the Word of God and you'll begin to understand it. I believe that uh, it is uh, just an amazing thing when we begin to consider uh, what the mind of Christ uh, really is. And the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of man the things that God hath prepared for them that love Him. But God hath revealed them unto us by His Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man, but the Spirit of God. So what we understand is that the Bible tells us that the natural man, in verse 14, receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him. Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. And yet the Bible says in verse 16, Who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him. But we have the mind of Christ. So it's not that we have His mind so we can instruct Him. No, we have received His instructions and we are admonished here in the Word of God to have the mind of Christ. 
I'm going to say to you that the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and verse number 23 that we are to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. The Bible talks about the renewing of our mind in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 2. And we understand that the battle is won or lost in the mind in this Christian life. The Bible tells us in the book of Romans in chapter number 8 and verse number uh, 5. It says there, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. So the carnal mind is enmity with God. In other words, when we operate independently of what God says, when we decide that we're going to do what seems best to us, understand there is a way which seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. And so the Bible tells us, for as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. We know that man will ultimately become that which he dwells upon in his heart and mind. And so we see the admonition in Philippians 2 to have the mind of Christ. Interesting that as we read further in this chapter, Paul says in verse number 20, I have no man like minded who will naturally care for your state for all seek their own not the things which are Jesus Christ now herein we find that Paul who desired to have the mind of Christ was looking for someone who would be like-minded who also would have the mind of Christ to know how to love this, the, the flock of God to know how to care for the flock of God and yet those individuals were in the rare minority. He had a difficult time locating someone who would in fact demonstrate the mind of Christ. Now, I want to just call your attention to chapter 4, if I may, and I want to read an accounting of something that was going on within the church that was in Philippi. And in verse 1, it says, Therefore, my Brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication. With thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus." Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, 
whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things, those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. I want to talk to you for a few moments tonight about the subject of the peaceable mind. The peaceable mind. For you see here in Philippi, Paul is writing to these believers and and he's calling out two women that were in the church that were having a dispute between themselves. Their names were Odious and Syntyche. And he was calling them to be of the same mind in the Lord. Now, folks, I'm going to tell you something that uh, we are all different. We come from different backgrounds. We have different tastes. We have different likes and dislikes. But that all notwithstanding, the Scripture has called us to be like-minded, to be of the same mind. That doesn't mean that we are all automatons. Uh, We are, uh, listen, we're different and diverse, but God calls us to be one, to be joined together in the same mind. Now what we see here is that there were two women that were not getting along and they were to be admonished. The Bible says to, uh, he said, I beseech Odious and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Very unusual that in the writings of Paul, he singles out two women and calls them to order within the church of the living God. But that's indeed what was taking place. And in the context of this disagreement or this a conflict that was taking place, he gives some in-depth thought concerning what it meant to have a peaceable mind. Now, I love that verse in Isaiah 26 and verse number 3. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee because he trusteth in thee. And I believe that God is calling us to a life that seeks peace and pursues it, even as the Word of God says on a number of occasions, namely in 1 Peter chapter 3 and verse number 11. And Paul was calling these ladies in the body of Christ to pursue peace among themselves. And let me say that before that is a possibility, the Bible says, and we must understand, in Romans chapter 5 and verse number 1, Therefore, being justified by faith, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, in order for us to be able to have the possibility of peace in our lives, we must first have peace with God that only comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. For you see, it was Jesus Christ that affected the peace. It was Jesus Christ that through His body being rent in twain, allowed for the, the, the temple veil to be rent in twain, torn in two from top to bottom, giving us access to God. Thereby, uh, thereby He affected peace between us and God who are separated from God. And so only as we are justified by faith in the Lord Jesus are we allowed to have peace with God. And 
praise the Lord, that the battle has been fought and won, and the victory is ours through Jesus Christ our Lord, and we have peace with God. Only those that have peace with God will ever understand what it is to have the peace of God that we read about here in Philippians 4, the kind that the Bible says passes all understanding. What does that mean? It means it blows the mind. That means it'll just flat out blow your mind when you experience uh, the peace that God can give. Now, when we have the mind of Christ, uh, we will begin to understand what it is to affect peace and to pursue it. We'll be those that the Lord Jesus spoke about in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5 when He said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. I believe God is calling us to have a peaceable mind. There's no virtue in wanting to throw down with people all the time. There's no honor in wanting to dispute and strive with people. In fact, the Bible tells us the exact opposite. It says in 2 Timothy chapter number 2 that the servant of the Lord must not strive, but be gentle unto all men. Certainly, there's an admonition there for us to follow that we're not ready to just throw down and be upset and engage people verbally because we know that that is nothing other than the carnal mind which is enmity with God. We're choosing up sides against God when we have the carnal mind. And folks, i got to tell you something. That'll wind up in nothing but a big frustration because when we are at enmity with God, we have chosen up sides against a foe that we can never defeat. We will only always be angry and frustrated. And so, they that are in the flesh, the Bible says there in Romans 8, cannot please God. And so, we know that we need the mind of Christ. I'm talking to some tonight who are bitter in their hearts and in their minds because of offenses that have taken place. There are those that they trusted that betrayed and plundered their trust. There are others who have deceived them or lied to them just outright. There are people that have made promises that they never intended to keep. There are are folks that have betrayed confidences. And there's there's some bitterness in the heart. and, And God is looking for some folks that will have a peaceable mind, which is the mind of Christ who came to reconcile man unto himself, and he has committed unto us, according to 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation. Of course, that is calling men and women, boys and girls, to be reconciled unto God. But I think what corresponds with that is for God's people, whenever there's disagreement, bitterness, and angst, that they also be reconciled one to another in the Spirit of Jesus Christ. For it is fundamentally the reason why He came, to reconcile man unto God. And so those that would have the mind of Christ, and especially in terms of dealing with strife and conflict, must understand what the Bible is revealing to us here, and that is that those that crave the mind of Christ to know and have the wisdom to do what God would have them do, when their heart is overcome with bitterness and anger, is this, that God calls us to have a reconciling mind. A reconciling mind. You see, 
The Apostle Paul is calling out, saying, I beseech Odeus and beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. What he's saying is they need to be reconciled to each other. It's not serving the purpose of God. It's not helping the flock of God to have them arguing and disputing. You may have a wonderful fellowship, but somehow it's a toxin that's impacting the overall fellowship of the body and the spirit within the body of Christ. And so he was calling them to have a reconciling mind. You see, theirs was to be a mind that would be helpful, that would be unifying, not one that would be angry and divisive. And so instead of working against one another, we, we need to work together. We need to come together with the mind of Christ, be renewed in the spirit of our minds, even as we, we put on the new man, which after God is created in righteousness and, and in true holiness, and determine that even as Jesus came to reconcile us to Himself, that we're not going to allow strife and bitterness, envy, and anger to persist in our lives, but rather we're going to determine to be unified by the mind of Christ and to have a reconciling mind. Now, listen, reconciling means we're going to come together. I'll tell you, a lot of times what happens is somebody gets their feelings hurt. And, and by the way, I want to just say that everybody does sometimes, but mature Christians don't get offended as often as immature Christians. Did you know that? The Bible says in Psalm 119, 135, that great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Let me say that again. Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. You see, when I love the Word of God, when I take its principles and precepts into my heart, and I begin to live them out, I remember that the Bible tells me I'm crucified with Christ. Paul said, I die daily. He was to die to self-will. And when he reckoned himself, even as Paul said in Romans 6, as dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God, when people did things that were offensive, he wasn't offended. Why? Because he was dead. And you cannot offend a dead man. When we reckon ourselves as dead to this old carnal world and its way, then our minds and our hearts are stayed upon God and the things of God. And we can truly embrace the kind of mind that is reconciling. Now, that's really not the way of many churches. If someone has been a problem or they've been divisive, even if they have come to a place of true repentance, oftentimes uh, they are marginalized and ostracized and sometimes disfellowshipped. But the responsibility of believers in Jesus Christ is to have a reconciling mind, to have them reconciled to the fellowship of Jesus Christ and to the fellowship of the body of Jesus Christ. That's something that the Lord would be pleased with because that's the model that we find in the Word of God. And so those that would have the peaceable mind, the mind of Christ, will have a reconciling mind. The idea that we're going to be unified together, reconciled together because we have the mind of Christ. The peaceable mind will 
have something else that we identify in this passage, and it is found in verse number 4 of chapter 4, where the Bible says, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. That is the rejoicing mind. The rejoicing mind. You see, it's not someone that has some Pollyanna type attitude that's just everything's happy, 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 and, and uh, they're, they're not in touch with reality and they just kind of have their head up in the clouds. That's not what it's talking about here. The Bible is saying rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. You see, here was a church that was under persecution. There was enough trouble coming at the church from outside the walls of the church house. There was enough trouble coming at the church from outside of the fellowship that there was no need for those within the church to be fighting one another. But rather, they were to be rejoicing in the goodness of the Lord, even in the midst of difficulty. They were to rejoice in the Lord always. And they were to understand that God has been kinder to them than what they deserved. And as a result of that awareness, it would lead them to say, look, what is there that I have been offended of that I can uh, uh, choose to hold on to? Because Jesus has forgiven me of all of my sin, past, present, and future. So who am I to withhold forgiveness from another? I think about what Paul said to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter number 6. He rebuked them for taking a brother or sister to court to sue them over a dispute. And he asked them the question, Why do you not rather take wrong? Now i got to tell you, that's not a popular idea with Christian people. In fact, it's not a popular idea with anybody to take wrong. Now I want to ask you a question. What's the matter with it? Well, I'm not going to be anybody's doormat. Well, you know what, with your attitude, it's a pretty safe bet you won't. You probably won't be anybody's doormat. Probably you'll be making a lot of doormats, I'm guessing, with that attitude. But the fact of the matter is, the Lord was meek. There were many times He could have let someone have it. He could have thundered down from heaven. He could have smitten them dead. He could have uh, taken the rulers of the Jews and tied them up in knots and chewed them up and spit them out, but he didn't do that. In fact, he was meek in his spirit and in his mind. He said, I am meek and lowly in heart, and he had a peaceable mind toward them. And as a result, uh, they were drawn to a magnanimous Savior. And we're called to have the mind of Christ. Recognize that God in his infinite kindness and mercy has been better to us than what we deserve. And so, who are we to hold on to an offense, to fail, as it says in Hebrews chapter 12, to fail of the grace of God. That means to, to, to fail in the mandate that God has given to us to impart to others the grace that He has bestowed upon us. And when we do, it sows the seeds of bitterness in our lives. But I'm going to tell you something. Those that have a song in their heart and as it comes forth from their lips, aren't grinding on, on, on the root of bitterness. I'm telling you, they're not uh, the ones that are uh, grinding on the sand of bitterness in their mouth and the gall of bitterness. It's impossible to have uh, joy and bitterness in the same heart at the same time. 
And so God calls us to rejoice and allow a wellspring of joy and praise unto God to wash away all of the ugliness that may have been harbored in our hearts as we remind ourselves that God has been kinder to all of us than what we deserve. You see, those that will have a peaceable mind within the body of Christ will have a reconciling mind, a mind that's inclined to pursue peace. And and they'll have a rejoicing mind, a mind that is disinclined to dwell on the negative and become bitter, but one rather that is characterized by the joy of the Lord in every situation. Those that will have Jesus Christ as their life will have joy in their hearts because Jesus is the joy giver. They'll have a rejoicing mind. I wonder, is that you? Does joy characterize your life? Do people wonder what it is that you're smoking and kind of wish that they had a little bit of it because you're always singing. you always got a smile on your face. And I can remember uh, when I was pastoring years ago in California, we had a dear lady in our church whose name was Lydia. And Lydia had uh, had some health conditions that created a great deal of pain. And uh, she had myopathy or neuropathy in her feet. And and uh, and I knew that she was always in a good deal of pain. And, and sometimes I would see her uh, walking down the hallway as she worked in the Christian school with little children and was on her feet a good percentage of the day. And, and I could see that she was walking a little gingerly. And I'd always say, uh, good morning, Miss Lydia. How are you today? And And you know, I always got the same reply. She would always have a smile like sunshine. And she would say, good morning, Pastor. I'm blessed. I'm blessed. And you know what? Somehow, I believed her. You know, there are a lot of folks that say that kind of stuff. And I wonder if they're just talking in platitudes, if they're using spiritual rhetoric because they think that's what they need to say. But you know, I looked at this woman. I knew she was in pain. And I saw a smile that was as sweet as heaven. And she would say, I'm blessed. I'm blessed. You know, she really believed that. And you know what I believe? That God's people need to have a rejoicing mind because they will never be the ones who are infected from the poison of bitterness and hold on to offenses refusing to have a reconciling and a rejoicing mind. One that will bring about peace in the midst of the body of Jesus Christ. I think what we notice here in this very passage in the context of a conflict between two ladies in the church is found in verse 5. We see our next thought, and that is that it says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. And what this speaks of is a reasonable mind. A reasonable mind. It means there is a sense of reasonableness. Not some kind of expectation. Now, I'm going to tell you, all of us in our lifetime have, have, have been around folks that treat you as if it doesn't matter what you do, it's never going to be good enough. Do you know anybody like that? Or maybe you're like that. You know, uh, someone could, uh, you know, work overtime and save money and buy you beautiful flowers. And uh, rather than saying thank you, you say, you know my favorite flowers are roses. Why did you buy me orchids? Or say, you know, I'm allergic to those. And you know, the person that saved and thought about it and prepared it 
and, and brought them to you, uh, was excited to do something because they love you and they did it out of a pure heart, but you know, it wasn't good enough. It wasn't good enough. You know, folks, listen, every once in a while, a simple thank you will suffice without having to just straighten out every little jot and tittle in someone else's life without ever taking a look in the mirror for your own self. You know, I believe one of the things that we need to recognize is that we've got to come to the place where we have a reasonable mind. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Now, the word moderation, it means a spirit of gentleness, of gentleness. You know, a person who's gentle isn't going to have rigid expectations. I believe that the Bible reveals here that this moderation, this gentle spirit that we're called to demonstrate, it says, will be known by all men. I wonder if that reputation precedes you. If when people think of you, they think, there's a truly gentle and kind-hearted person. It's going to be demonstrable. I don't care what you say, because that's not what's real. What you do demonstrates who you are. And the Bible says, let your moderation or your gentle spirit, your humility and kindness, let it be known unto all men, a reasonable mind, that you're going to be grateful for whatever good comes your way. You'll be understanding when expectations are not met because you know that we live in a real world and you also know that you can plan for the day, but you cannot plan the day because God may have had other things already on the agenda. And so listen, God calls us here to have a reasonable mind. And when we are obsessed with the carnal mind, giving someone a piece of our mind. Folks, let me tell you something. Most people that want to give a piece of their mind don't have any to spare. The reality is that they need to hold on to whatever they've got. And uh, instead of trying to uh, give somebody a piece of your mind, why don't you decide that you're going to have a mind for peace instead of giving a piece of your mind? The fact of the matter is, I, I want to be known as someone with a reasonable mind, with a gentle and a kind-hearted spirit. I believe Jesus was known for that. I believe that's why the multitudes heard Him gladly. I believe that's why little children gathered around and they chased Him as He taught and they wanted to, to be bounced on His knee and held in His arms. I, I believe it's why the disenfranchised and the downcast and the depressed and the marginalized and the sinful and the wicked and the publican and the prostitute, they all wanted to be around Jesus because He wasn't condescending and angry. He, he didn't have expectations of them and He wasn't unkind to, toward them, but rather He was loving and He was gentle in His spirit as He entreated them. And He became known for that. He he was meek and lowly in heart, ever so meek and ever so mild. In our day and time, we consider people that are meek-spirited to be weak-kneed, to somehow not be leadership material, to somehow have deficiencies in their life. And yet the King of Kings 
and the Lord of Lords, the Creator and the Sustainer of the universe, the One that laid down His life for you, the One that was strong, who is omnipotent, the One who knows everything, He's omniscient, the One who is everywhere, all at the same time. He said, I am me. So, my friend, if God is all of that, how can you say that God in the flesh was weak? I think, honestly, for someone to hold their peace when they're provoked is strength. It's not weakness, but strength. It takes a man sometimes to keep his peace, to just hold his tongue when he's been provoked. It takes someone with some intestinal fortitude that has the strength of the Lord to simply deal with people in a manner and after a fashion that's kinder than what we believe that perhaps they might deserve. God calls us to be gentle, to have the mind of Christ. It's a reasonable mind. And so when we find conflict in our lives, and we desire to have peace, the peaceable mind, which is the mind of Christ, will be characterized by that of a reconciling mind, and a rejoicing mind, and a reasonable mind. But understand this, in that same verse we read these words, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. And in this we find the admonition to have a ready mind. A ready mind. What does that mean? That means that Jesus could come at any moment. His return is at the very doorstep. Now I ask you this question tonight. When the Lord comes, do you want to be fighting with someone? When the Lord comes to call you home, do you want to be bitter in your spirit towards someone? Do you want to be angry towards someone when the Lord comes? Listen, if you believe that He could come at any moment, why, in the name of heaven, would you not have a mind that's ready to reconcile? Knowing that Jesus could come at any moment. Now, there's another uh, way of applying this passage of Scripture. It says the Lord is at hand. Not only is His coming at hand, it's right upon us, but it also means this, that the Lord is at hand. He's right here, right now. He's right here, right now. I want to ask you, if the Lord was sitting in your front room with you and your spouse, with Him seated there, would you continue arguing as you do? If your children were upsetting you and Jesus were seated there at the table together with you, I wonder if it would alter the way you communicate with them at all. Or because He's right here, would you be ready to, be, to have a reconciling mind, to have a, to have a reasonable mind, to have a rejoicing mind? Would that change anything if God was truly at hand? If not, it should. The Lord knows your thoughts. 
The Bible says that the Word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and joint and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not made manifest in His sight, but all things are open and naked unto the eyes of Him with whom we have to do. The Lord is at hand. He hears every word. He sees every deed. He understands and discerns every thought. We need to have a ready mind that functions with the awareness that God is right here. And how is that changing the choices that I make? The manner of my communication. He's a coming Savior who discerns our thoughts. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go to glory with the gall of bitterness in my mouth. I don't want to go to glory with anger proceeding from my lips. Because I like that verse in James chapter 1, Wherefore let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man worketh not the righteousness of God. I can never accomplish a righteous end with an angry, carnal mind. I can never do it. And so, understand this. We're to have a peaceable mind. That's the mind of Christ. He came to make peace. If we would, it would be a reconciling mind. It would be a rejoicing mind. It would be a reasonable mind. It would be a ready mind. But do you know, the Bible says in verse number 6, be careful for nothing. That means don't be filled with anxiety and care. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Would you know tonight that the peaceable mind be characterized by a resting mind? It's not going to be continuously hashing and rehashing. It's not going to be focusing on all the things that will poison the thought processes, but rather it's going to be focusing on what are what things are true and honest and are just and pure and lovely and of good report and virtuous and praiseworthy. It'll be focusing on those things. It'll be a mind that brings those anxious, angry thoughts to the Lord. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer. So what am I going to do? I'm not going to worry and fret about anything, but I'm going to pray about everything. And when I do, I'm going to leave it with the Lord. The Bible says, cast thy burden upon the Lord and He shall sustain thee. I believe burdens are lifted at Calvary. I believe that He wants to give His beloved rest. He wants us to have a mind that is at rest. Many of you have experienced nights as I have where you've gone to bed thinking about problems, anxieties, and worries. And in the morning, you awakened as though you never slept, feeling as if you'd been run over by a truck because your mind was never at rest. Your heart was never at rest. You never took the time to determine to have a peaceable mind. It's continuously mulling over those things that will continuously wear you out 
Whereas the Lord said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. That peace of mind is something that defies the world's logic. The world can't offer anything that will match it. There's no drug that any doctor, any therapist, any psychiatrist can give that would ever begin to approach under the peace of God that passeth all understanding to keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. I know a lot of people that name the name of the Lord, but you know what? They're continually on meds. And there was never really a point in time where they gained victory over their anxieties. They never sought the Lord to the extent that they might prove what He said He is, the restorer of the soul, the healer of the broken heart. I believe that He wants you to have a mind that is at rest. And I believe when we do, it will change the way that we live our life. Finally, a peaceable mind, the mind of Christ, will be one that is a renewed mind. A renewed mind. The Bible says in verse 8, Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. We know that the Bible commands us to be renewed in the spirit of our mind. And when we are, our thought processes will be changed. Those things that fill our heart and our mind will be things that in the end will give us peace and not anxiety. My friends, you know what I believe? There are many tonight that are having a conflict somewhere with someone. And God wants you to have a reconciling mind. He wants you to have a rejoicing mind. He wants you to have a reasonable mind. He wants you to have a ready mind. Get, just get after it. Don't wait. There's no perfect time. The Lord is at hand. He's right here. So what are you going to do? Don't wait till tomorrow what God's telling you to do tonight. A resting mind. You know, when you do that, you might have the best night's sleep you've ever had. You might just slumber in the arms of Jesus and have a renewed mind. Be transformed in your life by the renewing of your mind. And when we, we do, I'll tell you this, our conflicts will be fewer and fewer. You know, the world is going to throw enough at us without us throwing stuff at the people of God. Let's determine to have the mind of Christ. My friend, it is a peaceable mind. And would to God all of us would say, I want to have a reconciling mind. Mine is a ministry of reconciliation. I want to fashion that in the relationships I have in the body of Christ. It would be a rejoicing mind. It's 
hard to have both bitterness and joy in the same heart at the same time. It would be a reasonable mind. I, I don't have undue and hard expectations. I'm not dealing harshly, but gently with folks and humbly and meekly. And you know what? Everybody knows it. It's not contrived. It's not fabricated. It's just simply living out intuitively the life of Jesus because we are filled with His Holy Spirit. It's a ready mind that says, look, the Lord's at hand. I don't want to go to heaven with this anger in my heart. I'm ready to get it taken care of. I, I want to deal with it now, not later. I want to, when God speaks to me, I want to respond. It's a resting mind. I'm not filled with this anxiety and mulling it over and over again and losing sleep at night. I'm going to rest in Jesus because I've taken it to Him and I'm going to deal with it the way that He would appoint. And lastly, I want my mind to be renewed. That I not go through this terrible treadmill on the Christian life, trying harder and never succeeding, never gaining victory in my relationships. I want to be at peace with God. I want to be at peace with man. The Bible says, Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Thou wilt keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed upon thee, because he trusteth in thee. You know, the Lord is our peace, and he wants you to have the peace of God that passes all understanding to keep your hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. Will you tonight determine to have the peaceable mind. Father God, we pray that as we consider this truth, that each of us might truly endeavor to have the mind of Christ, which Lord we know would be a peaceable mind. For someone that's listening tonight or watching that is in a conflict with someone, Lord, may they have a readiness to just pick up the phone and make a call or get in the car go to someone's home and humble their heart and say, I've been such a fool. I, I have held on to the hurt and the offense and I want you to forgive me. Lord God, give them the liberty. Give them the wisdom. Give them the grace to take that step. Lord, I pray that our lives would be characterized by the peace of God that passes all understanding to keep our hearts and minds by Christ Jesus. Lord, how we need it. How we long for the rest, the soul rest that You've promised to give. Lord, please, sear these truths into our hearts and help us, Lord, not simply to be hearers, but doers of these things. For this we pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Tonight I want to speak to just a moment, for just a moment to those that might be listening or watching and you are not certain that your sins are forgiven and that heaven is your home. If that's you, I want you to listen very carefully for just a few moments. The gospel is the good news. In fact, gospel means good news. And the good news is that God loves you and wants you to be forgiven of all your sin and be sure of a home in heaven. 
It's something you can know. The Bible says in 1 John 5, 13, These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. You see, God wants you to know it. And so to know it, we need to understand the gospel, and it's just simply this. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3 that as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one is perfect. The Bible continues on and says that for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. And in that verse, we find God's standard for heaven. And the standard is this, perfection. You may be thinking, now, Pastor, you just said nobody's perfect. Indeed, I did. But that's where we have to come because we're in a desperate situation. God doesn't grade on the curve. He doesn't say, do the best you can because if He accepted less than perfect, He's not God because God is above all holy. He had to be righteous in letting us free. And if He turned a blind eye and a deaf ear to our sin, then He's not holy and He's not God and we have no hope. But understand this, he said, we're sinners. The Bible says, even if you can change your behavior, you still have a problem. For wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. When God created all that is, he created man and woman and placed them in a garden. And he said, there's a tree in the midst of the garden. You can have anything in the world to eat, but don't partake of that tree. And the one thing God said don't do, man managed to do. And in that day, mankind fell spiritually and we died spiritually. And the sin of Adam and Eve was pronounced upon all mankind. And so all of us were born with the sentence of death in us and the scourge of sin. We were born sinners. So I'm not a sinner because I steal candy from the Circle K when I'm a kid. I'm a sinner because that's what I am. And I can't change that. Only God can. There's a consequence for sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. You see, there's a price tag on our sin. And it's separation from God in a place of eternal punishment called hell. That's spiritual death. That's found in Revelation 20, 14 and 15. It says, and death and hell were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Friends, death is separation. For the Bible says in James 2 that the body without the spirit is dead. When this body is separated from the spirit and the soul, death occurs. And when we're separated from God, we're eternally dead. That's what we deserve. But the good news is this. That God loved you so much that He sent His only Son, Jesus, who is God in the flesh, to become a sacrifice for you and to die on the cross of Calvary so that He might pay the penalty for your sin and mine on the cross so that we might receive the forgiveness of sins and that God would be holy in offering forgiveness on the basis of the price has been paid in full. And so Jesus did everything necessary, and He now offers us the gift of God, which is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We deserve eternal death, but God in His love for us says, I want to give you eternal life. And it's purchased with the blood of Christ. It's through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a gift. 
paid for with blood. And the Bible says it's free to the recipient. And the Bible says, for by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We cannot work hard enough. We cannot give uh, generously enough. We cannot do anything to save ourselves. We must receive the gift purchased with blood from the only one who is worthy to offer it, and that is Jesus. And he said this, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you desire to have God's gift of forgiveness and a home in heaven, he said, if you ask me for it, believing me, I'll give it to you. And folks, if you believe the gospel as I've shared it with you, that you're a sinner, that you can't change that fact, and that Jesus died in your place to pay the price for your sin, and he offers heaven and forgiveness as a gift to you if you would simply ask him for it. If you believe that tonight, as I've simply explained it, I want to invite you to pray a prayer along with me. Now, my prayer will not save you. But if you believe with all of your heart that Jesus died to pay the price for your sin and offer you a home in heaven and there's no other way, then make this prayer your own prayer from the depths of your heart. And as I pray right now, I invite you to pray and ask the Lord for that gift of salvation right now. Dear Heavenly Father, I now come to you confessing that I am a sinner. And I know that I cannot save myself. I now invite Jesus into my heart and into my life to forgive me of all of my sin and to save me so that I may spend forever in heaven with Him. I'm now trusting in Jesus and Jesus only to save me. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Enable me now to live for Thee. For this I pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen. Friend, tonight if you prayed that prayer with all of your heart on the authority of God's Word, you're a forgiven man or woman. You're saved and on your way to heaven. If you did so, I want you to contact us through our website or through Sermon Audio. We want to send you a beautiful Bible of your own and we want to give you some materials that will help you as you begin to grow in your Christian life. Let us know about this decision. We want to help you and send you these things. If you live in the Phoenix area, we'd love to meet you and be a help to you in your newfound faith in the Lord Jesus Christ.